When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome to the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. My name is Nick. Coming up on this episode, we're talking marijuana, our failed attempts at manliness, and mystery photos. My father and mother were both very anti-cannabis, so uh, when I sort of fell into writing about weed, it took me a while to actually tell them and be open about it. Sharing a joint with a, with a circle of friends, and certainly if it were acceptable to do that with your boss, I think everyone would have a better workplace experience. If we can somehow find the person who took that photo and posted it to the chive, I will give them $500. <laughs> I am... You are right. That is an incredibly contested photo. Like if you're if you're actually looking at the groundhog and thinking that this is going to be legitimate weather advice, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, listen. I live in a state where we just got like blasted with snow for the last two weeks. I'm I'm paying attention to a fucking groundhog that's supposedly the net, like a prophet of the weather. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like download subscribe share we really appreciate it it really helps us out something that i've always been fascinated by is just how quickly people's perceptions can change and we're going to be talking about that specifically in regards to marijuana because when i was growing up it was evil it was something that nobody did and we even had classes about how dangerous of a drug that this was and just it seems in the last couple of years all of that has completely changed People who you didn't know were really into it, you're suddenly finding out are. And people who were so against it are now profiting off of it. And our first guest has some really interesting insights and opinions into that change. We talked to Mary Jane Gibson. She's a former editor at High Times. She's got an awesome podcast called Weed and Grub. And she was named one of the most influential and powerful women in the marijuana industry. So let's get this question out of the way right off the bat. Is your name really Mary Jane? My name is really Mary Jane, yes. How often do you get asked that question, and is it annoying? I never get tired of it. Um, I think people don't necessarily uh, believe me when I tell them. I actually did have someone ask me for my legal name the other day. So uh, fairly often in my line of work, for sure. It's a good fit. Do you think that in any way that that drove you into kind of your line of work, even subconsciously? Um, perhaps. 
perhaps. I mean, I was named for my father's aunt, so it's an old family name. Um, my family was actually uh, kind of anti a weed growing up. I certainly was not allowed to uh, partake at all, and my father and mother were both very anti cannabis. So uh, when I sort of fell into writing about weed, it took me a while to actually tell them and be open about it. Um, but it was a good fit right from the beginning when I started working with High Times, which was where I really started my whole journey into the cannabis world. And um, I was hired by uh, the managing editor, who at the time was also a friend. We had met at a party, and she introduced me to the whole staff at High Times by saying, hey, guys, this is Mary Jane, and yes, that's her real name. What was that reaction to that? Oh, no, no real reaction. They were all used to very crazy things happening all the time, and synchronicity, of course, you know, when when you're uh, when you're a pot smoker, you definitely just accept uh, the craziness of life and and the fact that yeah, someone someone's real name might be Mary Jane, and here she is right now. Nice to meet you. <laughs> you you were talking about your parents' reaction. Has that changed? Very much so. Very much so. It's been a really interesting journey. My father uh, passed away a couple of years ago, uh, and he. Before he passed, he was on dialysis at the very end of his life, and he was suffering from insomnia. And he asked if there was anything that I could bring him to help him with his insomnia. And he tried some edibles and um, some CBD products. And my mother's actually also been really open about trying some CBD products, you know, just as she's gotten older to help with, uh, you know, all of the aches and pains that come along with it. So they, they both had a massive evolution from, you know, not under my roof to really understanding the medical benefits of it and also understanding that I might choose it recreationally, you know, as an alternative to drinking a glass of wine. They're, they uh, made a big leap. So, yeah, big change. I remember when I was growing up and my parents caught me with some and they didn't really have any kind of a reaction to it. And as it has become more socially acceptable, I kind of understand why. Do you think that a lot of people were really into it and we just didn't know it before then? Yeah, absolutely. Every everyone's in, had been into it the whole time. <laughs> you know, we, everyone's just had to stay in the closet, especially since the you know drug war really took hold in the eighties, which was when I was growing up. Uh, you know, demonized. I mean, you know, smoking pot meant that you were a, a criminal and you know probably violent, and you know they were very successful in their propaganda. You live full time in California, right? I do. I live in Los Angeles. So California, being the largest state to legalize it basically recently. How do you yeah. think that that, how has that worked in California? How has that kind of changed the entire industry? Uh, it's It's been quite incredible. I moved here in 2016. And uh, as of January 1st last year, California became the world's largest uh, marijuana marketplace for adult use, meaning that you can smoke or consume marijuana legally if you're over 21, just like you could with alcohol. Um, and it's been wonderful. I mean, California's had a medical marijuana law on the books for the longest of any state in the U.S., but the recreational marketplace has really opened up and changed the the culture of, you know, one, being able to enjoy it openly without the fear of, you know, the stigma of being a, you know, demonized pot smoker. And also, the you know, it's changing the economy. Um, the amount of money that's coming in from the legal marijuana marketplace isn't as much as people expected, which is interesting, but it's it's definitely a great time to be here. It's sort of a marijuana mecca. And now there's uh, the coffee shop culture from, you know, where you 
can consume cannabis openly is is coming here now as well there are going to be some consumption lounges where you can actually like hang out with friends and meet up to you know smoke or eat cannabis and and have a night on the town which i think will be really lovely how do you feel about that commercialization of it though where these big businesses you know like the apple so to speak i'm not literally talking about apple but where big corporations are kind of coming into that do you think that's inevitable do you think that ruins it I think it, it's inevitable, and I think it ruins it. I think it's both. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's important because without the, um, you know, support of big business and, and marketing and all of the things that come along with it, uh, we wouldn't be able to normalize it as quickly as we have. But it is also a time when, you know, people who have, uh, you know, spent their lives advocating against medical and and recreational cannabis use are now profiting from it. For instance, former Speaker of the House John Boehner uh, is on the board of a cannabis company called Acreage Holdings. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard not to remark on the hypocrisy of that. So it's definitely a time where we have to remember that uh, you know, although cannabis is, you know, marijuana is having its moment and it's moving mainstream and everyone is, you know, all of a sudden very excited about CBD and about the possibilities of making money off of the plant. There are still people serving lengthy prison sentences. There are still people being arrested for possessing a joint in certain states that don't have any, you know, cannabis laws on the books. There are still people who want to grow cannabis as a caregiver for someone who's sick in a state where there isn't, a, you know, a, a law on the to allow them to do that and they're being arrested and going to jail so it's important to really remember that as people are profiting from the plant that people are also still being arrested and the and the disparity between you know wealth and um and people of color being able to profit off it and or going to jail is you know striking that that does seem to be one of the biggest thing that jumps out is that you have people that are serving some cases decades in prison for something that is now legal in the same places that they were arrested for, that yeah. one, I mean, no matter what side you are, whether you use marijuana or don't, that one seems to be like, what? Like, yeah, the hypocrisy is, is, is a, it sort of rises up in your throat a little bit. Uh, it, it definitely is uh, being addressed in certain places. There are, um, there's legislation to push for expunging criminal records for pot prisoners, you know, Canada federally legalized cannabis last October, and the federal government is looking at expunging the records of people who served any sentence, any nonviolent drug offense. You know, it really should be expunged immediately, and you know, it just takes a while to work its way through all the court systems. And right now, in the U.S., there is no federal cannabis law. Under federal law, it's still illegal, so it's state by state. And you know, as each state. Uh, legalizes cannabis, they have to look at it on a case-by-case basis, of course, but, um, you know, ideally, you know, if you've been arrested for cannabis, hopefully as as the country legalizes, you would be able to, you know, plead that case and have it taken off your record because it's ridiculous, you know? If you were going to put a bet on it, will the United States, basically all of the states, legalize, and when would that happen? Yeah, that's the big question on everyone's mind. Um, This year, New York and New Jersey uh, are going to tip the coast toward the East Coast being as fully uh, legalized as the West Coast. And then it's really just a matter of time, I think, until the entire country, the green 
tide, the green rush really takes over. But um, the, at the at the federal level, you know, there are still forces working against legalization, namely big pharma, big agriculture, and the prison industrial complex. And it's a very complicated and thorny um, situation. And of course, everything takes a long time to grind through government. But if I were to guess, I would say by 2024. Be honest on this one, though. Do you ever kind of miss the dealer? Yeah, I mean, you know, well, when I lived in New York, um, that was, you know, one of the best parts of the week was like making the phone call and having your guy come over with his suitcase full of jewel boxes and like going through the strains. And, you know, it was it was always like a fun sort of half hour to like, you know, sit down and like make your choice for the weekend and get some great sour diesel and, you know, roll it up and, and have that whole like chat, you know, what are you doing tonight? Um and it was, you know, a lovely part of the canvas buying experience. But now, no, I don't miss it at all because I get to walk into beautiful, brightly lit dispensaries and chat with a knowledgeable bud tender who can direct me towards something that I might not know about yet. And, uh, you know, they have like, you know, prize deals. One of my favorite dispensaries here in L.A., there's a wheel that you can spin and you can get like free product. You know, it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> one of the things that shocked me the most when I was in one of the dispensaries was the person that I was with got a receipt. And I just, my mind could not, I couldn't get like, wait a minute, you got a receipt for this? Like, I just couldn't get around that. Yes, I have a budget. I have a monthly budget and I keep receipts and I'm meticulous about my records, about, you know, what I'm buying and where I'm buying it. And I write it all down and I keep massive, you know, lengthy records with very proudly my receipts all attached. (laughs) Okay, now I got to ask you, what's your monthly budget? Uh, 500 bucks. Is that a lot or is that not that much? I'm not entirely sure. Um, it depends on your intake. It's 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 a comfortable amount for me because I'm in the cannabis industry. I write about cannabis for a living, and so that's the amount that I have to spend in order to make sure that I'm trying all of the new things and I'm able to go to a few different dispensaries and you know drop a little bit here and there and you know just find out like what's hot on the market. So I, I feel very lucky to have that budget. I think it would be it would have been a lot for me at a different time in my life, but for me now here in California at this point, doing what I'm doing, it feels just right when i was in one of those places i was i didn't know what was going on like there's so much new stuff that i was really just confused about it has this always kind of been the case that there was a lot of different varieties and different things that you could do and different ways that you could smoke or has this really just developed in the last couple of years yeah, I think it's really developed since cannabis became legal in Colorado and Washington in 2012. That's when the sort of like flood of pot products really started hitting the market. And then there was a time sort of like before regulation really cracked down in California, which was last July, the first six months of uh, legalization in California for adult use from January to July of last year, 2018. You could get absolutely anything. You could get eye drops. You could get medicated toothpicks. You could, you know, if you can put weed in it, you could get it. And um, then regulation cracked down and the Bureau of Cannabis Control in Sacramento issued some new regulations to sort of um, 
really like they, they it was packaging and and um dosing and, and all sorts of stuff that actually stopped the flood of small businesses really being able to throw anything onto the market and and so it abated somewhat but you certainly can get you know just about anything i mean we we used to joke about it when i uh was working at high times that we should start a column called uh they put weed in what now <laughs> <laughs> some of the stuff that i was looking at is just the person that i was with was just we just we just want some weed. I don't under I don't know what all yeah. of this stuff is. Oh yeah, it's in face cream and it's in, you know, joint pain spray and it's in also, you know, I mean, if you really love weed, the wonderful thing is that you can just go and buy some beautiful flower and 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 enjoy that, but you know, there are also stealthy devices uh, that, you know, vape pens, dabbing. I don't know if you know about dabbing, but that the rise of concentrates has really um cornered a large share of the market because it's a very intense um high THC delivery system, which is great if you're a medical patient and also if you know, if you really want to sort of like experience a rush but um yeah it's 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 an amazing wonderful wide world from somebody kind of looking at it from the outside i go back and forth in the sense of like okay is this really about the culture is this really about the medicine is it really about kind of having these different experiences or do people just want to get high well i think people just enjoy the the experience of consuming cannabis um you know there's definitely a novelty to doing it in all these different cool ways that you can do it now but the real experience is about just enjoying the plant you know in terms of like do you think and i i think accidentally you could even hear it in my last question there in the sense of do you think though it will ever rise to the point of where like alcohol is in the sense that you know you you (laughs) You go and get a drink after work with the boss, and do you think it will get to that point, or is it maybe already there? I think it's always been at that point, and people have just hidden it. I mean, you know, one of the most wonderful things uh, to experience is sharing a joint with a, with a circle of friends, and certainly if it were acceptable to do that with your boss, I think everyone would have a better workplace experience, you know? Um Going to Amsterdam for the first time in, you know, the early 2000s when I went with my boyfriend at the time, walking into a coffee shop and sitting down, ordering from the menu, sitting down and rolling up some Northern Lights or Blue Dream or whatever it was that we bought uh, was, you know, just a glorious experience to smoke and then walk out into Amsterdam and, you know, ride our bikes and go to museums. And absolutely, it's, it's, you know, Canadians actually spend as much as uh, on weed as they do on wine this will air probably after this but then again at the same time cbs just shot down like a super bowl commercial they said no right yes which they did that- so that was well that was an interesting thing so cbs uh declined to air a medical marijuana spot during the super bowl that medical marijuana spot was um produced by acreage holdings which is the cannabis company that former Speaker of the House John Boehner and also uh, former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld sit on the board of. So it's an interesting position to sort of um, be in to feel like, you know, yes, I am absolutely all of for cannabis spots airing during the Super Bowl. I also think that Acreage Holdings might not necessarily be the company to spread the um, message of medical marijuana. I think that it's actually a company that's, you know, pure for profit, uh, not necessarily best company to bring the message to the world. So- Do you think that the, that the, original people, so to speak, 
are going to see right through these big companies. You know, they've been smoking for a long time. Are they going to are they going to go with this or eventually will this company just be so big and widespread that you can't avoid it? Well, I think one of the great things about smoking uh, or consuming cannabis is that, you know, it frees your mind and it helps you question authority, right? Like one of the reasons that the drug war exists, uh, which was admitted to by one of Nixon's aides, is that, it, you know, marijuana causes people to question authority and they wanted to shut down down the dissenters and, you know, stop, you know, all these protesters during the Vietnam War and, you know, controlling communities who are rising up. So cannabis as as a substance that helps you free your mind and question authority and, and sort of look at the world uh, in a way where you're actually thinking about it as opposed to believing what's just handed to you or told to you or marketed to you means that, you know, if you're a cannabis consumer, you're probably a little skeptical about all of these companies that are showing up with money now that all of a sudden they can make a profit off of it. So if, if I'm correct in this, you were originally an actress? Yes. Yep. I went to theater school in Montreal and acted uh, in Seattle and New York until I started writing about cannabis full time. How did that transition take place? I... Uh, had always had side gigs as an actor, as you do, you know, stopgap jobs of all sorts. And I fell into copy editing uh, between acting gigs when I was in New York. And my friend was the managing editor of High Times, and she invited me to come and do some freelance work at High Times. And I met the whole gang there, and we all became friends. And then that was just sort of a psychic for a really long time, and I loved being around them. They're all really wonderful people. And then in 2014, they offered me a full-time editorial position, and I jumped at the chance because uh, it just felt like a good time to stabilize. And then I moved out to L.A. in 2016 uh, to open up the West Coast office of High Times, and they're still they're still going out here. I'm freelance now and, and uh, working for for a bunch of different outlets. So it's been an interesting transition. You were named one of the most powerful people in the industry. If my five seconds or not five seconds, but five minutes of research is correct, I think you were number eight. Do you feel like you should have been higher? <laughs> I I sh- I can always get higher. Um, I I feel like my inclusion on that list was a a great gift. I am always delighted to be named amongst any of these incredible people who have worked so hard to legalize cannabis. So I felt very lucky to be on the list. I did not feel like I should have been any higher, no. You know, I've had some people close to me in my life that have had issues with anxiety, with multiple sclerosis, with concussions, with those kind of things. And it's really, I mean, really done just an amazing transformation in terms of helping their overall well-being. I do think, and maybe you know, I'd, I'd be interested in what you think about this, that it, in terms of a medicine, like, wow, this is, this is really something that we should take more seriously. Yeah. I mean, it's a plant that's been used for millennia as a medicine. It's not new. <laughs> it's just been successfully uh, demonized by, you know, starting in the 1920s and 30s because of anti-immigrant sentiments when, you know, immigrants were coming across the border into the southern states like Arizona. And, you know, the the communities who were made nervous by their immigration were looking for a way to police those communities. And one of them was to target their use of marijuana as, as a medicinal 
and and sometimes recreational substance. I mean, that's where the original sort of anti-marijuana sentiments came from and the rise of reefer madness was it had nothing to do with it being a bad thing. It had a, it was a way to com- control communities of color. You know, demonization and stigmatization of cannabis as a as a as a criminal substance has has had nothing to do with it as a plant or as a substance. It's a beneficial wonderful thing that if used correctly can can really change your life but in terms of like okay if 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 we're legalizing marijuana do you think that it ends there or do you think that some people's fears about like okay well now we're going to legalize i'll be really dramatic meth and cocaine i mean do you think that this is the first of some steps or do you think that this is a reevaluation necessarily yeah, it's a big question. So first, I, uh, meth is legal. It's called Adderall, and um, kids are prescribed it every day. Uh, cannabis is an alternative to many harder drugs, not a gateway drug. It's not something that uh, opens you up to using harder drugs. I, uh, cannabis is an alternative that is a plant-based substance that can, um, you know, treat, uh, in fact, wean people off of needing harder drugs, for instance, pain medications and opioid medications. Right now, people are discovering that cannabis can be an alternative if you are in serious pain, that you can actually use cannabis instead of opioids to treat that pain. So it's not a a gateway to legalizing harder drugs, and it it isn't anything that should be feared as something that can forge a path toward that. You started a podcast, Weed and Grub, so I guess the biggest uh-huh. question is, what food goes best? Like, what food, what is the best weed-related food? <laughs> Such a good question. Um, I would say that it's anything that pops into your head at the time, because I don't have one in particular, and just as you asked me that, I thought of French onion soup. So <laughs> I would say whatever it is that you're craving at the time, that's the wonderful thing about weed. It, it can um, you know, make your brain just think about everything in a, in a wonderful way, and you know, like an apple, a cold apple right out of the fridge. Best thing you've ever eaten if you just got pleasantly stoned or, you know, um, roast chicken or pizza or any. I, I'm not a big um, I don't go for the regular sort of like, I think, stereotypical stoner snacks, but I'm also not against a bag of Cheetos. Man, that apple sounds really good right now. There's right. There's one on my kitchen counter over there and I'm just like staring at it. Just man, that yeah, sounds good. Put right it in now. the fridge for a couple of minutes. Put oh. it in the fridge. Get it nice and cold and then crunch into it. Best thing you've ever had. Oh, my gosh. I've never been so hungry in my life right now. Um, <laughs> this one I feel like is, is might be really tough, but you had one. You have to pick one. The best weed, the best variety. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the one that's handed to me by, by my friend. <laughs> that's a great answer. Yeah. Uh, best movie? Uh, nine to five. Really? Yep. I just rewatched it for the first time in many years. And I don't know if anyone remembers this, and it certainly wasn't part of the film's marketing, but the like main conceit of the movie where you know it's women rebelling against their terrible boss is all set in motion by this wonderful scene in which Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda and Dolly Parton get high together. I do remember that now that you talk about it. 
Yeah, they smoke a big fat joint, and then they have this wonderful extended dream sequence in which they all imagine how they're going to get back at their boss. And you know, the film goes on from there. But yeah, best best weed movie, nine to five, hands down. I don't know if you've ever met her in person, but I've met Dolly Parton. Secretly, very cool. Oh my god, not secretly uh, uh, for me at all. I think she's the coolest. But that's so cool that you met her. Amazing. Yeah, I, I don't remember what she said exactly, but she just said something that I thought. That is the coolest thing anyone has ever said. Coolest person that you have ever smoked with? Uh, Margaret Cho. Oh, she's the comedian, right? Yeah, icon, legend. And um, I went to interview her in Atlantic City at the Borgata. And I was with my friend Urs, who was videography, video, videographing, videographer. <laughs> and um, my friend Gretchen was the photographer. And the three of us hung out with Margaret Cho in this beautiful suite in Atlantic City and did bong rips and interviewed her. And then she got into this bed and we were doing this photo shoot and we covered her in weed. And the whole thing was super, super fun. And then she went on stage half an hour later. She must have been baked out of her mind and just killed, like crushed it for an audience of a thousand people. It was incredible to watch. She's her mind is razor sharp. She's just incredibly, incredibly funny, and um, it was a real honor to smoke and hang with her. Strangest experience you've ever had smoking with someone, and I'm not talking like bad strange. It can be good strange, bad strange, whatever. I think all the strangest experiences I've ever had have been by myself. Honestly, like cannabis is such a communal thing for me you know it's it's lovely to sort of like smoke and enjoy it with your friends there have been a few times there was one time when I was judging a cannabis cup and so I was smoking a lot of uh, various strains of sativa and I was in Amsterdam and I had smoked one that was particularly potent and I wandered out into Amsterdam and got lost uh, in the you know wandering through the canals and that was the strangest time I think I've ever had because I, I, I was like so deeply lost and I didn't have a cell phone and I, you know, wandering through, and I knew I would be okay, but I just remember it being this sort of like very trippy, what felt like an hour might have been five minutes <laughs> time. This may be a mid, more of a Midwestern thing where I'm originally from, but what do you think happened to the time-honored tradition of smoking out of a pop can? Oh, it's just so nasty. Uh, <laughs> I've always liked an apple. Well, I've never known anyone who has done that. Um, but that was just like a rite of passage for people was out of the pop can. And for some reason, when I think about the total legalization of it, like that's something that I would miss. Sure. Yes. It's funny. So my podcast co-host, Mike, um, when we were like, what does, you know, what was your first experience getting high? He talked about smoking out of a pop can. My first experience getting high was actually smoking hash in Newfoundland in the eighties. Um, and it was, um, hot knives, meaning you, excuse me, you actually heated up knives and then did this sort of like thing where you um, touched a little ball of hash and touched the two knives together and you would inhale this wisp of vapor and it was a very intense way of getting high. But my favorite way, always, if anyone doesn't know about this, you can just take an apple, you put a hole through it with a pen and then you put another hole through it to make the carb and it's a pipe. It's perfect and it tastes delicious and you can eat the apple afterwards. Even your first experience is like so much cooler than probably anybody else's first experience. It's funny. 
funny, actually. I didn't smoke flour. I didn't smoke proper weed until I was in my 20s. Like, hash in Newfoundland was what was available because it was imported to this island in the North Atlantic. So I had a very different experience getting high for the first time than I think most American kids did. How did you guys get the idea to launch the uh, Weed and Grub podcast? So Mike Glazer and I met through Cannabis and Comedy. He's a comedian, uh, and we were introduced and headed off, just became great friends and decided we wanted to make something together. And we both love weed, and we both love food. He went to culinary school and is a great cook, and I also love food and cooked on a boat in Alaska for a while. And we were like, well, if those two things are the cornerstones, we can then talk about anything. So basically that's it. We get together, we smoke, we snack, and then we chat with each other and with really interesting people from all walks of life, you know, great friends and new friends. It's, it's a lot of fun. So it was basically just, you know, everything we both already love rolled up into one podcast. What, um, what, what do you guys have coming up kind of not only with the podcast, but other stuff? Oh, we've got some really cool stuff coming up. We just hung out with Jim Belushi, which was a, an amazing day. You know, he's such a legend, and he now has started his own cannabis company called Belushi Farms in Oregon. So that was, you know, an incredible day and an, uh, a pretty great episode that we're dropping next week. And um, we're also going on the road. We're going to Alaska to the Before You Die Comedy Fest in Anchorage in April, and we're going to record the podcast live from there. And then we're going to do a tour all the way down the West Coast because now that every state and province down the West Coast is legal, we can go from Alaska through British Columbia, Washington, Oregon, and California, sampling legal cannabis the whole way down. I'm That's so excited. Cool. We're, calling it, we're calling it the Iditarod of Irie. <laughs> I want to thank Mary Jane Gibson so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her or find out more about the Weed and Grub podcast, we have linked to them on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we actually also have a link to their podcast and to their website on our RSS feed. If you know what I'm talking about, then you know where to find that. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. I want to preface this with one thing we talked about manliness and used the word manliness a lot in this conversation we should have been talking about adult and being an adult so when you hear the word manliness just replace that with adult and i think you got a and i think you'll get a better sense of what we were really trying to get at all right so let's go ahead and give john shaw a call i guarantee that he's going to find some way to bring up the patriots and tom brady within at least the first two minutes. So let's start the clock. Good evening, sir. How are you doing today, man? It's a great day at the Shell household, I can tell you that. Well, I mean, why is that? What happened? It's it's, it's not about what, what has happened. It is about what is going to happen. And what is that? Well, I know by the time this comes out, Tom Brady will have And there it is. I predicted that this would happen within the first two minutes, and we made it... 23 seconds in. <laughs> of course you did. You knew it was going to be one of the first things, if not the first thing that came out of my mouth, and you accurately predicted it. See, but what I don't understand about that is that we are taping this on Saturday, the, do- the day before the Super Bowl. It airs after the Super Bowl comes out. There's really no reason to bring it up whatsoever. Oh, you act like the Super Bowl still isn't going to be the main topic of everyone's 
conversations. Even if you're not a sports fan, the the event still carries on for at least a week. Whether mm-hmm. it's the commercials or the shitty halftime shows, something. You know, I would actually make an argument that I'll give you until Tuesday. I'm not going to go ahead and push that until Wednesday. But I was thinking about this. I think the game is actually the least interesting part of the Super Bowl. Well, I mean, I, I think the way that our culture has made it, what or you- our society has made it, I mean, it's more of an event now to get together and, like, to have a party. But for us sports you know, enthusiasts at heart, the game is what matters the most. You know what I've always been fascinated is that I think the Super Bowl is probably the most watched event. Like, everybody checks it out. But still, when you look at it, only 49 million people in the United States look at it, which means that still roughly roughly 300 million people do not watch it, if that actually, math is correct. I actually have a little bit of a trivia for you and one of my, and for one of my Fast Fives later. Okay. Where I talk a little, where I talk a little bit a little bit about that, but you you are correct in terms of, of the numbers of Americans that watch it. However, it is and and, and this is a small scale, I guess, number. You are you trying to way, ruin but, your Fast Five now? No, no, I'm adding to I'm adding to your your point that there's an average an average uh, viewership of this of a Super Bowl the last twenty years has been around a hundred million people total. Which would mean, you know, half from America, half from the rest of the world. If you think about it in the grand scheme of things, and how many television sets there are in the world, that's not, you know, what is that? A tenth? Like a a fifth? uh, Or not a fifth, but like 5%, like 2% of the world watches it? Well, there's 7 billion people. 100 million would be 10% of 1 billion so it's yeah, it's probably like about two percent of the world when you think about it. But something that surprised me that I just I don't know why I know this or remember this, but if you figure a hundred million people watch the Super Bowl and that's the biggest event in the United States, over a billion people watch the Tour de France. Tour de France is dwarfs the Super Bowl. I, I'm I'm gonna have to see your numbers there, sir. Well, I mean, unless you're talking about for the longevity, I mean. That might make sense, I guess, but in terms of a one a one night event, the Super Bowl is the most watched event, almost always. But we'll get to the one thing that has impeded it just once. Do you think you're a man? I mean, in in, in terms of what? Do you just feel like a man? I mean, I, I don't I don't feel like a woman. No, I mean, but do you feel like I'm not talking about? Are you a member of the male gender? Do you feel like a man? Like you're a man now? Since I've had a child? No, just in general. Why are you making this so <laughs> difficult? Because I don't know what you're – I mean – Do you feel you like a man? That? How is that a difficult question? Do you feel I, like you're a man? I think the the thought of feeling like a man is all – it's all a, a bullshit mindset. Like what are you talking about? Being able to, to put together a house, does that make you a man? That's Being this is, able to cons- console your wife – while she's having a mental breakdown, does that make you a man? No, this is a relatively simple question. Do you feel like you're a man? <laughs> I know you're going to have some stupid comeback. See, you're trying yes. to you're trying to Yes, did, I feel like a man. Okay, when did you finally start feeling like a man? About how long ago? I don't know. I mean, 18, 19, 20. <laughs> you felt like a man at 18. 
I mean, don't you don't? I mean, you're confident, right? You feel like you can go out and take on the world when you're that young. Yeah, but I think that that there you feel like the man. I don't think that I felt like I was a man until probably maybe maybe two years ago. <laughs> well, when you were pushing forty, when I was pu- almost forty five now. Let's see how old. Till I was like thirty two, I think is when I felt like a man. This is actually a great question, really, if you think about it, because I just had this conversation with somebody in terms of, uh, of you know, when you feel like a man and how how from generation to generation we have completely regressed in terms of what it means of a man's in terms of like responsibility and when you come of age for certain things. Like, have you ever thought about even in like World War Two? That there were seventeen and eighteen year old kids leading companies of men. Yeah, that's that's kind of a crazy thing to think about in terms of what what they were asked to deal with and we deal with. But I think that I, I think that people suffer from not really being able to objectively look at the past in terms of, you know, the old uphill both ways all the time kind of thing. Like every generation sure. has its own unique challenges. Sure. I mean, I just in terms of that that mindset of you know, are you a man? I mean, I, I just think it's it's such a rhetorical question to ask our generation and even the uh, generations before us because I mean we're we're, we're th- you know we're, we're thumb suckers and we're you know most of us don't ever have to live you know that us. Most kids don't have to live on their own till they're 22, 23 anymore. Some kids stay on their parents' insurance till they're 26 now. Like, you know, I that wasn't me, by the way. But it's like, you know, I I don't know. I, I would find it hard to be a man knowing that mom and dad pay for most things. But at the same time, back in those days, you it was also different. Like, you could have a factory job and you could have a house and provide for a family off that one job. Like, you can't do that now. So the challenges are just different. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't go against that. I mean, and may, maybe if, if those were the challenges of today, uh, you know, from back then, it would be the same. But because they're not, I, I just I, I don't think it's a fair question to ask any man anymore if you're if you're a man, because I feel like especially in America, we are we have the, the, the blinders on for the first quarter of our life. Most most of us, I feel. Yeah, I think you generally kind of, I wouldn't, or at least for me, I don't think that I really had any clue as to what I was doing until at least after 27. I would say the first taste of anything that I ever got was when I graduated college and then I I moved out of state like six months later and kind of, you know, that's when like I realized, you know, I'm, I'm on my own, like I have to buck up or shut up. And then I met you. And I broke your computer with a baked potato, and uh, it's all been downhill ever since. You know, just listening to your answer, one of the things that I thought of, of is if you can't yet answer the question of when you became a man, you aren't one, <laughs> you aren't one yet. So essentially, we've concluded that you are not a man. Um, let me ask you another question. What is the manliest thing that you have ever done? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, see, I mean, I, I would like get I would get sentimental about it because I, I feel the manliest thing I've ever done is so far like, be a fantastic husband and a good dad. 
I want to make fun of you so much for that answer, but I really can't. I know you do. I mean, th- that's why I think there's layers to it. I mean, that's like on the psychological, like the emotional side. See, but I think that ultimately this kind of goes along with what you said. You're a man when you have a responsibility outside of yourself. I think that's kind of when you become a man. Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess that's what I'm saying in a roundabout way. I just don't – I don't know when – you know, I'm not saying having a kid – or getting married even qualifies for that responsibility. I think it's whoever you are. I think it's on a person-to-person basis. No, I, yeah, I don't think that you have to be married. But you, I also don't think that you really – like 22-year-old me wouldn't have even understood the concept of 32-year-old me. Oh, my God. 22-year-old me would be – would not be talking to you on the phone right now. You'd be at some bar somewhere. Uh, living what he thought was the best life ever. If you guys don't know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pictures of John Shull passed out on bathroom floors. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> I, I think I've, I think I've cleared uh, the internet of most of them. However, there are some people that listen to this podcast that now will probably resurface those pictures just to spite me. I oh, forgot you. I forgot about this completely, and I'm going to bring this up whether you want to or not. But there is a very hotly disputed photo of John Shull that was once posted to the, the Chive, I believe is the website that what it was called. And it's a picture of a guy who looks incredibly like John Shull passing out while peeing at a urinal. If we can somehow find the person who took that photo and posted it to the Chive, I will give them – Five hundred dollars. <laughs> I am. You are right. That is an incredibly contested photo, which still to this day, most people say it's me. I mean, I. The problem is, it's basically from like the chest up, which, like you said, I mean, it's pretty much you know, Do you, it's 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 me. But it, and then it's it's just like a it's just a regular bar bathroom. Like you can't tell anything. Do we? Do you? Do you have access to the photo? I am almost 100% sure that one of my friends has it. I'm pretty sure he does. But if anyone has it, he would have it. Wait a minute, but he has it like he took it or he has it like he just knows like where the photo is? he fo- got it off the chive. Okay, so we're going to find a way to do something with this photo. And I'm legitimately serious about this. If you're the person who took this photo and you can confirm whether or not it's John, I'll give you $500. <laughs> you know how many people are going to be set photos of who they <laughs> what they think is me at a bathroom urinal <laughs> passed out that's fine we need to answer this mystery <laughs> i can't believe you remember that oh i've been i think it's the funniest thing in the world because it's <laughs> obviously you and you have tried many times to say that it's not you <laughs> i because i feel like i would remember but then again that's a stupid thing to say because yeah. the person in that photo is extremely inebriated and their eyes are shut. It's either basically you or you need to ask your parents some questions about your twin brother. Well, I have only one brother that I know of, and he's a ginger, so... Did you know that different kinds of crocodiles have vastly different lifespans? <laughs> a- a- yes, I love the crocodile. A salt... Well, I bet you... But I, how do you know you're not thinking of an alligator? Can you tell me right now the difference between a crocodile and an alligator? Uh, I can't tell you the scientific definition. I believe alligators are bigger than crocodiles. 
I didn't look that part up. What I did look up is that an alligator has a wider snout and it's shaped like a U. A crocodile is shaped like a V. Yeah, I mean, it all, yeah. Don't that, say that, yeah that, like you know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Exactly what you said. That's not exactly what I just said. I said that the snout is different. You said that they're bigger. Yeah, bigger meaning, you know, alligators have bigger features, better looking eyes, things like that. This Anyway, this saltwater crocodile lives about 70 <laughs> years. A Nile crocodile can live up to 100 years. I, I, I don't believe that. 100 years? Yeah, that's pretty fucking impressive, really. You're telling me that they're not getting eaten by a hippo? In that hundred years, well, give me a break. hippos are vegetarians. <laughs> Aren't they the most vicious animal in the in all of the world, though? I don't know if they're vicious as opposed to they just they kill a lot of people. John's fast five. Pew 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 pew. pew. John's fast five. Pew 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 pew. John's fast five. My turn. <laughs> In a second. Wait. This isn't going to work while he's out awake. You know that, right? Uh, what's your fast five? Let's hear it. I want to be wowed. Well, it's got, well let's so let, let's ease into it here. Oh, God. With something that you kind of just talked about, about longevity of animals. Okay. So okay. as you know, today, February 2nd, uh, that and I, I, I detest this. Pucks and Tawny Phil, right? The the groundhog. Yeah, I hate this too. They say that they've been using the same groundhog for the last 137 years. There's no way groundhogs can live to be that old, right? No, that's a blatant lie if they're saying that. Either you misread something or that's just a blatant lie. A groundhog well, doesn't live 137 well. years. Misread something, but I'm pretty sure I heard an interview where one of the two guys in the top hats who take that responsibility way too seriously said that but my thing is why I, why I wanted to bring it up and poise this question to you is apparently this fucking groundhog has only been right 39% of the time why on earth do we still keep listening or you know keep making a deal about it when it's 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 fail like it fails because it's a tradition People people like to do it. I don't know why you're making fun of the guy in the top hat. If that was your job, you'd be really serious about it too, and people would be making fun of how serious you are about it. It's just a thing we do. I don't what what I'm honestly confused about is why you take it seriously. Like if you're if you're actually looking at the groundhog and thinking that this is gonna be legitimate weather advice, you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean listen, I live in a state where we just got like blasted with snow for the last two weeks i'm i'm paying attention to a fucking groundhog that's supposedly the net like a prophet of the weather well then that's your fault <laughs> i'm one of millions okay but I, I guess you don't believe in puxatani phil which is why you live in a terrible state that only has one one climate yeah nice anyways uh moving on uh, this one kind of caught my eye just for its obscurity, and that is a German sausage maker has decided to move locations to to a the a former uh, former site of a concentration camp. Oh, jeez! Terrible, right? Not only is it a sausage sausage factory, but I I believe it's the Buchenwald 
uh, concentration camp that they're moving on to its property. Like, who thought that's a good idea? Yeah, that's a terrible fight. I mean, I don't care if you're getting an amazing fucking discount. I don't care if they give you that for free. Like, just no. You just avoid that. No, that's a bad idea. Apparently, they, they plan on building, like, a museum on oh. the property as well. Oh, because that's going to fucking fix it. <laughs> just, I, I just don't understand. I, I just want to uh, be in that room when that conversation starts. Like, hey, boss, I've got a great plan for our new facility. Look, it's close by. It's pretty cheap. The only problem is it used to be a concentration camp. Like, what? <laughs> what fucking happens in that room? Like, oh, okay. Yeah, let's go ahead and announce that. I know. <laughs> I mean, I I felt like kind of a bad person because I, I immediately started laughing. Well, yeah, and I mean. I realized, like, this has to be a joke. And then I, I did some more independent research and realized it is no joke. I have always been fascinated by the tendency that a group of people will make a decision that individually none of them would make. Like, I see how that goes. That person pitches that idea in that group meeting. Everybody to themselves thinks, wow, that's a terrible idea. And then somehow as a group, they talk themselves into it. Like, I've always been fascinated by that. When you talk to people who make a dumb decision, they're like, well, we decided as a group. But individually, all of them thought it was stupid. Uh, I, I don't even know. But once again, it caught my eye in the international circuit. And it's a 12-year-old boy from China that had to have... 39 magnetic balls removed from his penis <laughs> because he had stuck them up there. Uh, and it's a product, or not a product, it's a, it's a toy called Bucky Balls. Oh, I've heard of Bucky Balls. I think it's actually illegal in the United States. I have no idea. But Which this 12-year-old be... stuck a string of Bucky Balls into his wiener. And uh, then when he went to the, according to the AP, then when he went to the hospital, he told the doctor, I swallowed them. And the doctor apparently immediately knew that he was full of shit. <laughs> and it ended up being this thing. He was under surgery for uh, for like three hours. Minimally invasive, but I mean, you know, they had to be real careful taking them out, obviously. But it's, I mean, I swallowed things when I was a baby and a kid. God, I, uh, that, that surprises, that should surprise no one. But uh, I don't ever remember sticking things in places that don't belong like that. See, it's always to me, it's like, okay, maybe number the first one. But how do you get to 39? Like, did you get to 30 and not think that, well, let's go nine more and then see if this is this now if this is a problem. Like, was it that 39th one that really sealed the deal? But yeah, I don't understand how you start going and then you're like, oh, well, this feels different. I'm going to go all the way to the end. I'm going to go with peer pressure is probably what resulted in this. What's your um, uh, What's your next one? The Super Bowl, how we were talking earlier. Uh, what do you think out of the 10 most watched programs ever in the, the United States, 9 out of 10 are Super Bowls. What is the one event that, and it's in that number 9, that was not a Super Bowl? MASH. Bingo. That was pretty easy, though, right? That's a pretty common common one, I guess. I don't think that anything related to MASH is pretty common. I just, I actually feel like I remember seeing that or hearing that at some point. Here's yeah, my... Yeah, MASH. Uh, 
I, I forget the numbers. I wrote it down somewhere, but it's like a little over a hundred million tuned in in 1983 to watch the final episode of Mash. What is the most watched event in the world over? Do you know that? Probably the World Cup. That's what I was going to guess. I don't actually know the answer, but I would assume I would assume it would either be the World Cup or like the crowning of a new pope. Of a new what? Pope. Oh, I. Did you break up or did you just stop talking? No, I said it, and I don't know what happened over there. If you had like a brain meltdown or you were I, getting something to I, eat I, or what you were doing. <laughs> I'm actually wearing shorts right now. However, my uh, my diet is going splendid. I've lost a quarter of a pound in the last two weeks. That, that's, that's first of all, that's terrible in terms of a diet. That means you've essentially burned an extra 1,000 calories in two weeks whilst trying to starve yourself. What was that? What are you doing? I'm not doing anything, and you keep breaking up on me. Are you moving around your house? Yeah, I pace when I record with you. Why well, you wherever you're— out of breath? Wherever you're pacing to, you're getting into bad recording, so stop pacing. All right. I'm I'm stopped. I'm just going to walk standing still. <laughs> you know what? Jogging in place is bullshit. Yeah. I, okay. You know what I you know what I can't stand people that fucking get on my nerves are these cocksuckers who stop at like red lights. And they stand there and they like pretend to like half jog while they're waiting for the light to change. I kind of do that. You don't jog. I mean, I don't jog very often, but if I'm jogging, like I don't want to stop because it's so much harder to get started again. So you just stand there and kind of move your legs like an idiot. First off, do you say jogging or yogging? Well, no one ever says yogging. They say it as a joke. Are you sure about that? Yeah, dude. How do you not know these basic things about life? Are you sure, like, in Iceland they don't say yogging? It's fucking Iceland. It's different. I, but, I mean, it's still, a, it's still a thing. It's not like I'm crazy. So what you're trying – yeah, you are crazy because you're saying in one place they say one thing differently occasionally and the rest of the world says it the same all the time. Don't bring it up. I bet you they don't say jogging in, in Namibia. No, they probably don't. They speak Namibian, Namibianese, Nambian. Don't try to change the subject. But you bringing up people saying yogging like it's pop and soda. Like, no, no. They say it in one place. It's like Iceland or people as a joke say it. Wait a minute. Are you are you trying to say that there is no pop or soda? It's either one or the other? Well, they are basically the same thing. There's actually a great map that breaks down the regional differences between if somebody says pop Soda, soda pop, Coke, or cola? I think it's all stupid. Well, you also think people say yogging. Some people do say yogging. No, they'd say it as a joke. They don't say it seriously. I bet you they say it in Siberia. I don't think anybody lives in Siberia. You sure as hell ain't going jogging. <laughs> you almost said yogging and you know it. I did. Can we – let's go. This is just showing our, our society at its finest – is uh, in New York City, there was a woman who got trapped in an elevator for 72 hours. Oh, shit. Uh, she was a, uh, or is, not was, she is like a uh, like a maid to a uh, millionaire that lives in one of these high-rise in New York City. Well, while she was trapped in the elevator, the local NBC affiliate interviewed another one of the millionaires from the, uh, from the complex, 
and we'll call him a douche, gives a fantastic interview at like hour 71 where he goes, ah, that's no big deal. (laughs) A human can survive for like a week without any water or air. (laughs) First off, I think you need like air to breathe. The the water thing might be true. I don't know. I haven't done the research. It's not. You need to you need to Google like like maid or housekeeper trapped in elevator and almost every story uh, that I looked up will bring up this this asshole who's basically just like oh yeah she was she's trapped no big deal she'll be fine it's only been three days I don't even have to look him up I know what that person looks like I know exactly uh, yeah, what that person and I'm sure if you gave me a description you'd be absolutely correct yeah does he have an incredibly punchable face yes yeah. I would imagine he has one of those, like... A receding hairline. Yep. Yes. Does he have, like, a strong, weak jaw? You know what I'm talking about? Where somebody looks like they might have kind of a strong jaw, but then it wusses out because their own... It's like their own jaw recoiled from the douchebaggery that is their face. (laughs) Yes. And you're you're speaking pretty strongly about this, so I think... Because I hate this person. Because you have one of those faces. Anyways, um... (laughs) Where are these these crocodile facts, man? Give me another one. Um, Another crocodile fact would be one that I think that you're going to enjoy is that the first crocodiles actually looked very different. They were only about three feet long as opposed to 12 to 15, and they stood on two feet instead of four. Says who? See, I knew you were going to. Science. Are there any actual pictures of this or is it all? How would there be pictures of this? Exactly, that's my fucking point. So like, this is what – that's what I don't understand. You're convinced – well, they can look at the anatomy and they can basically tell how they would have walked based on the bone structure. That's something that they can figure out. You're not convinced of this because there's no pictures. So essentially, you're not convinced because the technology that wasn't even around at the time wasn't able to capture them. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't just have to be technology. Well, how else would they – what were they going to do? How else would they have taken a picture without technology? I don't know. Fucking cavemen drew on the walls, okay? You think that they were going to spend their time documenting the first crocodile? I don't know. They fucking stared at the moon for 800 years. Well, the moon is way more important than a crocodile. If I was a caveman, I would draw the moon and the sun and probably the water that I live by, but not a crocodile. Like that doesn't rank high enough in the importance of caveman drawings. First off, you might be a modern-day caveman because you are only like five foot four. First of all, they were actually Neanderthals is what you're talking about. They were actually bigger than Homo sapiens. You got to be careful there with that, with what you're saying. You almost slipped up, but I'm proud of you. I did. And also, I took a DNA test. I only had – I don't think I had any Neanderthal DNA. Is it Neanderthal or Neanderthal? I'm not entirely sure. All I know is that I always used to say Neanderthal, and then I suddenly started hearing people say Neanderthal, and I figured we should change it. How do you say Qatar? Cutter. Because <laughs> I've heard that about 12 different ways, too, and I have no idea how to say it. Right. I remember I almost got into a fight one time with an Italian guy because he was like, it's Italian, not Italian. It's Italia. And I, I was, I was pretty inebriated, and I, I like, I was so belligerent about it was I, it was I, 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 and then I ended up looking up like a week later, and of course that person was right, and I felt like a dick. Yeah, but I mean, he's from Italia. Are you ready for our top five? 
Let's do it. So this is our top five things that every man should have. What is your number five? Uh, I feel like I should have put this one higher, but I, I have a toolbox. Yeah, see, I think that we'll talk, we can get into that a little bit. I think there are some specific tools, but I would agree that the toolbox, if you're going to go that way, is very high on the list. I would agree with that. I think you should have put it way higher. It's a stupid decision to put it at five. <laughs> All right, what's your number five? You need one solid scar. Uh, I didn't even think about that. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, you need one good one. One good one with a story that either involves, I mean, it has to be painful. It has to be a painful scar. You need one good painful scar. What's your most, do you, do you have a painful scar? I've got a, I would, what I would think, let's, let's compare scars. You go first. What's your best scar? Well, I broke my arm when I was younger. Compound fracture. Nice, nice. Uh, basically, it was coming out my elbow. I got a nice scar there. That one's pretty nasty. Um, multiple knee things, nothing too great, just a lot of scars. Oh, my best one, actually. This, this, this one takes the cake. I was 11 or 12, and I was at a baseball camp. And I walked too close to a guy uh, during he was swinging. Oh, and he you caught me dumbass. just above the eye on his back swimming, and it cut me open. Uh, and I had to get like twenty eight stitches, and uh, pretty sure my brains were showing. Yeah, that's a pretty solid one. I'm just gonna go straight to what I would say is my best one, which you can't really see. Uh, I was riding my bike and was hit by a car. 72 stitches across the top of my head. <laughs> it's it's an impressive scar. I think what's more I want to what I want to know more is what kind of car hit you. That's the determining factor. Technically it was a parked car. <laughs> I knew I I knew there was something fucked up with it. I like tried to say it was like a Miata or something. I tried to play it off. But it was a parked car. I was in second grade, so I would have been like eight. And I remember I was having a great day, and I was riding my bike, and I like put my head down to ride faster. And then all I remember is looking at my bike and thinking, <laughs> I thought my bike was white. Why does it have all this red stuff all over it? My bike's not red. Why is my bike red? And then my mother like come flying out of the house screaming. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, you're such an idiot sometimes. Yeah, dude, that was that was a fucking that was a fuck up. <laughs> What's your uh, number? Let's see, number four. Uh, I know you're gonna drill me on this, but uh, I I believe in this very much, and it's uh, you have to have a good pair of socks. Ooh, I have something along those lines, but not socks. My number four is you have to have a comfy pair of pants. That are comfy enough that you can lounge in them, but also nice enough that you can like go out to a function with. See, I I almost put blue jeans on the list. So you have to have a good pair of blue jeans. But I totally agree with you. Why do you pants. say blue? Why do you say blue jeans? Why don't you just say jeans? Who the fuck has black jeans or gray jeans? Why don't you just say I jeans? Mean, I used to have a I used to have a pair of black jeans. Yeah, that jeans. that explains a lot. Well, you are. T- you are talking to the guy that tried wearing skinny jeans once. And, uh, literally told by the bartender to go home and change. Because did, there was a division sign in, in my pants. No big how, deal. How did, you, how did you even, number one, from a logistical standpoint, find skinny jeans in a 42-inch waist? 
First off, I'm not a 42-inch waist, but along those lines, I have no idea how I even got into them with my thighs and my calves. I have no idea, but it worked. And then it it's just a shit show. I don't even know how to explain it. That's literally putting 10 pounds of flour in a five-pound sack. Uh, what's your number fun. three? Uh, so going back to, like, uh, tools, I have you like have to have, like, a good power tool. Ooh! Oh, I, that's mine. I got one. I, I think let's mine's higher on the list. Mine's higher okay. on the list because I think it's a very specific power tool that you have to have. Um, All right. Well, I, I will just give, like, an example of what I think. And it's like a miter saw. That's pretty solid. Um, I think the tool that I'm going to suggest is a little bit more specific, but I think that saw could be up there. Could okay. be up What's there. What's your number three? Some sort of weapon to defend the house. Well, a real man would say he doesn't need a weapon. He has his hands. Yeah, but he's going to have like a stick or an old baseball bat, preferably a wooden baseball bat. I have more respect for the guy who defends his house with a wooden baseball bat than I do the metal baseball bat. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't even know. Uh, 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 I mean, if you're defending your house with a baseball bat, you're pretty much fucked from the get go. So, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll give credit to where credit's due. There, I guess. What does that mean? Are you going more credit to the guy with the wooden baseball bat or the metal baseball bat? The wooden baseball bat, for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And that's a tougher guy. <laughs> uh, so my number two is uh, this is for like the older. Uh, you know, gentlemen. Uh, but you have to have like a good recliner. Yeah, I this, when you started talking about it, I started thinking like, oh, I didn't have that. That's a good one. <laughs> That's pretty solid. You got to have like dad's chair. It's got to have a good butt groove in there. Yeah, it has to. And it has to have like little, like little crusties and you know food crumbs in the in the crevices. What are you talking about, crusties from what? <laughs> What's your number two? Clothes with paint on it. Okay, that's fair. That's that. Yeah, I I have plenty of it. Believe it or not, that's not paint that you have. So what? my my number one is uh, it, I, don't, I don't think it's what you would think, but I think everything a man should have is a good woman. God, you're such a sentimental pansy. I knew you were gonna say that, and I actually thought about this. It's for, such for a, a good answer now. too. It's a good answer, and it can translate. Doesn't have to be necessarily a woman if that's not your thing. It can be a significant other. Sure, it can be a yeah, it can be a partner, but you know, yeah, whatever, partner, woman, but you know, a good person beside you. I mean, you really are like a giant baby. I've been I've been called that a few times by my wife. I don't. I, I want to make fun of your answer, but it's also a great answer at the same time. What's your number one? The power tool? Power drill, specifically a power drill. You got to have a good yeah. drill. You got to have a good drill. So, so Nick, do you do you like a good drilling? You know, one of the things that that I, I like to be drilled every once in a while. I mean, I think a good drill. You don't want to be using it all the time, but every once in a while, having a good drill is really is really important. <laughs> you got to turn up the speed it's even better yeah i mean the harder you get drilled the better the harder the the, the faster the drilling happens is always better for you <laughs> especially if it's got a really good like just a little turn during the drill you don't want a lot of kickback 
That's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I also want to thank Mary Jane Gibson again for joining us. Check out that podcast, Weed and Grub. It really is good, especially if you're into weed and especially if you're into grub. And when we were talking about the $500 for that photo, we have the photo up on our Facebook page and on some of our social media accounts. I am absolutely serious about that. If you can find the person who took that photo and posted it, or if you are the person who took that photo and post- posted it, I'll give you 500 bucks. Dead serious. Because, because we need to know. Like This is a mystery that has to be solved. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.